Welcome to the Battleground Wisconsin. My name is Matt Bruski, and I'm the Deputy Director here at Citizen Action of Wisconsin. And welcome to another week from 2022, Wisconsin. We have a lot of topics to talk about. We are going to talk about a lot of things that are happening around our democracy here in the state and nationally. We have our full panel to engage in that conversation. That means Claire Zauke is with us. Claire, it's good to have you. Thank you. Good morning. Well, good morning when we're taping this, I suppose. <laughs> good morning to you and Robert Craig, our executive director is with us. Robert, good morning to you. Good morning, everyone. So um, we are going to start the show uh, talking about COVID. Um, at, we record Thursday morning and yesterday the state recorded its record number of hospitalizations. Um, we've been tracking these rates, talking about Omicron, talking about the surge that's been uh, occurring uh, basically uh, at the end of last month and in last week's show, uh, we have had uh, infection uh, case rates over 12,000, certainly over 10,000 for multiple days now. I think our seven-day average is just under 10,000. Uh, deaths have been over 30 every day. Claire, uh, I don't know, have we hit the peak we, it continues to remain extraordinarily dangerous. Uh, your thoughts kick us off on the state of COVID in the state of Wisconsin. I would like to think that we have hit the uh, peak um, of Omicron, but I'm not confident that we have. Um, everything that I've read says that um, because Omicron became the dominant strain in other parts of the country first, then those other parts of the country will probably hit their peak of Omicron first, right? So um, the New York Times today, for example, is reporting that based on the numbers, they have probably hit the peak of Omicron in New York City, uh, meaning that their Omicron cases or their COVID cases period because of Omicron um, increased something like 20-fold in December, and then now in mid-January are um, sort of flatlining, meaning that like the number of new cases is staying the same, um, and hopefully very shortly the number of new cases will start to um, be less each day. Um, so if New York City is today just maybe hitting the first day of their peak, um, I think it is unlikely that Wisconsin is hitting its peak right now, um, and so we should um, stay vigilant because, you know, this wave could still be, this wave of Omicron could still be half in front of us, even if we are approaching the peak. Claire, I hear you say that. And one thing that I was in, interested in this week, we've had a discussion about sort of masking and testing. And we had a deep dive a few weeks ago about whether this country has actually really got the adequate testing. And we all agree they don't. Um, your thoughts and Robert, your thoughts too. It seems this week there was an uptick in sort of like mask education, both nationally and in the state. I know Milwaukee gave away in the last week over half a million masks. CDC, a lot of discussion about um, some of the research that came out about mask quality, really pushing folks to put uh, N90, N95, I believe. I can't remember all the numbers, but these high quality masks, we know what they are, not the cloth masks. Um, your thoughts about that this week in terms of both getting through Omicron, especially if folks are vaccinated, um, but just looking forward in terms of how we go about, you know, uh, fighting in, uh, uh, 
dealing with COVID since it appears it's going to be amongst us for a while? Claire and then Robert. There's two parts that local government should be doing when it comes to masking. And it's good that the city did the first part, but it's not nearly enough. So yes, people need high quality masks. We've talked about this on the podcast for a while. I've been telling folks for several weeks to abandon their cloth masks and just rely on the N95, KN95 masks, which are um, much more effective against Omicron than uh, the fabric cloth masks. Um, So it's good, right? Like people can't wear those types of masks if they don't have access to them. And they're often difficult to buy if you don't know where to go or if you are relying on buying things online or sold out and it's hard to know what's a real mask and what's a counterfeit mask, right? Um, so, it, so it's good that the city is passing those out. Um, and uh, I, I, th- I assume other governments are, are doing that as well. Um, but we still need to have masking requirements, official masking requirements in um, our state. And that is really challenging because of the political environment, and I'm sure Robert will talk about this. But for example, I have a puppy and I've been taking my puppy to puppy classes. And um, my last puppy class ended in 2021 and I'm supposed to start a new one tonight. And it's a very small class. There's only four people in the class, plus the instructor. But the puppy school just emailed us and said, we're not requiring masks, but if the city passes a mask mandate, then we will. And so my sister and I are going to go wearing our N95 class masks. It's only like a 30 minute class. So um, if we're wearing our N95s, all the science says that that's not long enough for us to receive, nearly long enough for us to receive an exposure. So I feel comfortable going. Um, But it is exceptionally frustrating to me that they said, we're not going to require it, but if the city passes one, then we will, we'll comply. Right. And that shows it it just, you know, anecdotally in this one specific piece, it's not enough that people have masks because not everybody's going to choose to wear it in specific environments. The city, the city's mask mandates, the municipal mask mandates, they are really effective. Yeah. Claire, you're pointing out Shocking thing. In a democracy, we look to our government and our leaders to kind of help guide us. Robert, your thoughts? Well, uh, to his credit, Bernie Sanders has introduced a bill, has 15 co-sponsors. Not sure if Senator Baldwin's on. I think she might be. I mean, she's, you know, a good suspect to be on. I'm sure Senator Johnson is not a good suspect to be a co-sponsor to distribute N95 masks to the whole country for free, mail them to people. And, well, there, some administration spokesmen have, have poured cold water on that, saying people, the problem is people won't wear masks, not the access to masks. It's just not true. There's a weird thing with the Biden CDC where they've had horrendous messaging. In fact, report recently was that the CDC director, uh, Rochelle Walensky, is now getting media training. Well, maybe we should have thought about that when we hired her, if she, but it seems to be a lot more than her messaging. It's about their strange policies that often seem to be as political, like on the quarantine move that seemed to come at the behest of Delta Airlines, uh, that more political than scientific. But we should be sending N95 masks to people. We've done a terrible job of making it clear to people what is a good mask, what is one that's rated, how do you get it? We just allowed the wild, wild west, go to Amazon or someplace, it's just like a whole hot mess. 
And there are plenty of fake N95 masks. Here's what I want to let people know. This is, I don't usually do policy and consumer guidance, but the CDC does have in its website a list of all certified masks. And so you can find the manufacturer and you can find American-made ones and you can find them available. I got a good supply of them in less than a week. So it is possible, but not enough people know that. I guess, Matt, if you, I think you want to interject by another point when I make up the Republicans, but if you want to interject something, go ahead. No, you okay. can go, Robert. The problem here is, is that for over 200 years, early Republic or like 1803 or 1804 Supreme Court decision, we've had a position that freedom meant that you don't have a right to infect other people with deadly diseases. The courts had universally supported vaccine requirements. Okay. The Republicans literally in the middle of the Trump administration changed the rules of that and create a whole new freedom, the freedom to infect apparently, because they've made it in some huge imposition. I mean, they pride themselves as eager risk takers, people who pull up at the bootstraps, the descendants of the homesteaders and the like. But it's just too hard to put a mask in when you go into a grocery store. And it's some great imposition of my freedom. And so why people would go and risk people's lives and their families' lives. And so there's a real problem in, in the legislature. I'd like to see more backlash against this. The problem is Democrats may not be getting enough calls. There are two Republican bills to ban businesses from doing the right thing, like the uh, like the puppy place that uh, Claire goes to, um, and ban uh, business mask mandates. Now, think about that. They have been the party for years that business can do anything they want. You can deny health care on religious grounds to your own employees, all of those sort of things. But all of a sudden now, you, you can pay whatever you want, have no workplace protections, or very few, um, no minimum wage, really. And, and, uh, and here we have uh, you, uh, you, that uh, you are not allowed to decide that people can't come into your establishment and infect my employees, infect the owners of the, uh, of, of the business, and infect other customers and drive them away. Look, Two it's, bills. it's appalling. It's appalling. Uh, you, you obviously call out the hypocrisy. Um, I think we've seen so much hypocrisy, uh, <laughs> talked about so much hypocrisy on this show. Maybe we're uh, become immune to it. But uh, Robert, it's excellent in pointing that out. I mean, look, we have talked a lot about this. I think the biggest problem, you look at this country, it's like we thought we were just going to vaccinate ourselves out of this problem. And we just have been very inconsistent on the kind of public health messages around masking around, you know, just even even right down to how long you should quarantine yourself. And you compare this to other countries we mentioned what was going on with the Australian Open and Djokovic, I think, on the last show. It is just remarkable, the different approaches of the two countries um, and also public opinion. And this gets back to what Claire was saying. The Australian public is wildly opposed to Djokovic because they view it as he's doing something that the rest of us aren't. It is not safe. Um, and public opinion, because their government has gone and approached this in a completely different way. And that reflects in the way the population is responding versus, you know, this just divisive debate we've had in our country. Folks, we got to take our first break. I would just say, Matt, it's an, a, an adult view of the balancing rights and responsibilities, which we need to return to in this country. With that, folks, we're going to take our first break. You're listening to the Battleground Wisconsin with Citizen Action. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. 
We're Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. We're extraordinarily active on social media. We're on Facebook. We're on Instagram, Twitter. Please check us out if you don't already. Want to talk with this august panel uh, about the 2022 elections. It's our second show, and we're already knee-deep in the election season. And I just wanted to, you know, get some of your thoughts. Uh, the big news this weekend, it's like the worst kept secret in politics that Ron Johnson officially announced uh, that he'll be running for the United States Senate. Again, this is the Ron Johnson who promised he wasn't going to run again. But as his onslaught of ads this week that immediately followed with his explanation, he just believes this country's in such a great state of peril. <laughs> which has been brought on by him <laughs> and his, his complete uh, jackbooted support of uh, President Trump, but he is in. So we kind of got our field set for United States Senate. Folks, we've talked about our forum. Again, want to encourage you, if you haven't, to go check out the Democratic candidates that are challenging them. We'll have a link to the forum if you be able to watch. Um, so that race is on. And then, folks, in the weirdest of news, we've been tracking the governor's race and mentioned uh, the, shall we say, weak field of Republican right-wingers that have jumped in. Tommy Thompson retired. No, he didn't retire. He might run for governor. 80-year-old Tommy Thompson is considering running for governor. So, Claire, uh, this is quite unusual to have an 80-year-old whose last effort was a, a butt-kicking by Senator Baldwin, uh, is thinking of running for governor, and obviously Rojo announcing. Your thoughts on the election season being off and running uh, here in, in Wisconsin? Knew that the 2022 election was going to be absolutely wild even before we knew whether or not Ron Johnson was going to run for re-election or even before we knew the governor was going to run for re-election. So I'm like, yeah, Tommy Thompson, why not? Let's just let's bring it in. Let's expand the chaos. Um, this feels like par for the course for the 2022 election. Um but, uh, you know, I don't want to make a ton out of his age, right? I mean, you know, Joe Biden is 79 years old, I think. Um, so, I mean, and granted, he he obviously ran to what, two years ago. So he would have been 76 when he ran. But the point is, he'll be president when he's 80. And um, there are, I'm sure, records of other um, octogenarians holding high level office in this country. And um, I don't want to be accused of, of ageism or hypocrisy by um, by criticizing, you know, Tommy Thompson for this decision just because he's a Republican when we have that on the Democratic side as well. Um, I think there's a broader conversation to be had about, um, you know, is it is it time for there to be new leadership in this country and in this <laughs> state? Um, and I, I think that answer is yes, obviously. Uh, um so when it, especially when it comes to the U.S. Senate office, although that's not what um, that's not what Tommy says he is going to run for. Um, but, you know, what? I, I imagine what's happened is that he he retired and found retirement boring and missed public life and is like, hey, this is probably the last time that there is going to be a, a seat that doesn't already have a strong 
Republican, or at least maybe what he considers to be a strong Republican challenger going that I am going to, you know, be able to run for. And so let's have a good time. (laughs) Yeah. Well, hey, so Robert, your thoughts on this. I mean, when I first heard it, you know, Thompson has done a lot, I would say, to his reputation. it is work as uh, I guess interim. He did it for multiple years as running the UW system. I think people were kind of, I would say even Democrats, I wouldn't say impressed, but certainly thought he did a, a, a an admirable job. Um, do you think it's possible? And, and Thompson's never been on the radical right. He is certainly not an ally of someone say like a clayfish. I think he's possibly entering to muck around and, uh, make an argument about what kind of Republican party the state needs, which might actually be very interesting. Your thoughts, Robert, on that and just either of these races. Well, I want to commend uh, Claire for pushing back against the ageism, not of Matt, but it's on social media, right? Um, Tony Fauci is over 80. So I think we do need to get beyond that, um, given, you know, people are living healthier more active lives longer and longer. Um, and I know some very capable 80 year olds running organizations, I mean, or over 80, like 85, 86. Um, but I would also say I, I, I don't much like the experience frame, the freshness frame, because, you know, Scott Walker was a fresh face. I mean, I just, I think that's overused in politics. The question is who would actually lead the, lead the government the best and sometimes it's someone with a fresh perspective that is fresh, but not someone that consultants sold as being a fresh face, right? That which is usually what happens in politics. But here's what I think there's something interesting going on. Remember Bill McCaution, the Commerce Secretary for Tommy Thompson and a major lobbyist, was in the race and pulled out Kunye Traction in today's Republican Party. So now you have Tommy, who has a lot more name recognition, John McCaution never run for office, uh, weighing in. There is some sort of stealth anti-Trump, like traditional Republican Party part of the party that is not gone and like the Lincoln Project and essentially become Democrats, but is still quietly trying to pull it. And you see at the national level, too, Mike Rounds, the uh, uh, senator from South Dakota, is out there against the big lie, saying it's discredited, but for the whole Republican agenda and against all the voting rights bills. So they're kind of trying to carefully detach the big lie and evolve back to a more traditional right-wing Republican party. So I would say it's more of that, that there are people who also push Tommy into this race. I don't think though, I think the problem is not his age, not his over-experience. I think the problem is is that he's from an earlier age. In fact, I think you could have an interesting bar debate as to whether his administration or Tony Evers's was uh, more conservative. In other words, it, it, uh, it's kind of hard to tell the difference between Tommy Thompson as governor and a very, very moderate uh, end of the Democratic spectrum uh, leader like a Tony Evers. Well, and look- so I just point out that even though he tried to go right for Baldwin, move to the right in a part of party, I don't think it works. But I think that, I don't know, they may have a theory that this just shows um, case that there's a lot of support for a different kind of Republican without any theory he's actually going to be governor. I, I don't know. Claire, any further thoughts? I'd forgotten, um, which is ridiculous because I just left UW myself, but I'd forgotten that Tommy Thompson was at UW 
um, for a long period of time. Um, and that, um, that, yeah, he, he probably got a good taste of being back in public life and, um, is thinking to himself and he's not totally wrong, right. That he has re regotten some name recognition across the state and built himself up as a, as a Republican who can, um, get things done, build bipartisan relationships, and is has a reputation that's totally separate from Trump. And I could totally see how he could think that there is a lane in the state's Republican Party for that. So, um, so while at first I thought, you know, this is kind of a weird thing to be happening in 2022, but everything in 2022 feels weird. Now I'm like, not super weird. I'm kind of seeing why he thinks like why he made this decision, or at least I can imagine a path towards him making this decision. Yeah, I, I just want to throw in, that's one hypothesis, right? That it's about his ambition. He, he got taste of public life again. Um, that's possible. Another possibility is he's a stalking horse for a group of Republicans who are trying to at least have a placeholder and a stake out there to bring the Republican Party back. And they may not have a plan to win. They just want to have primary candidates that are more traditional Republicans, and that's why McCaution was running too. And they could have met, had a lot of planning and saying, look, Tommy's our best hope to get some traction. Tommy, can you do it? And it could be a both or a combination. Well, and Tommy also has the ego, clearly, that he would have the interest to do this and do it at high caliber. Look, he's exactly the kind of candidate who would be a challenge because, he, for example, vaccinations. We've got the leadership of the Republicans in the state actively doing things to try to like not promote vaccinations. Whereas Thompson, he's straddled that kind of older Republican where he's been, no one's been more pro-vaccine than Thompson in terms of going out advocating the importance, trying to get students to do it. But he doesn't believe in the mandates, right? He's not, he's it's it's sort of still that like, you know, it's it's not certainly where uh, we would be by any means on that, but it's definitely a completely different world than what we're getting out of the leadership. So I think it'd be fascinating. And I also would not put it past him. Like, I think the parties left him in many ways, and I don't think there's like any base for him. Um, and I think that that would, will be, we would find that out very starkly. The question would be, is this, is he someone who's in a situation where he's so upset that he might actually endorse someone like an Evers against a clayfish um, and have this effort to be to start to lay that down. Um, so anyways, it would be his final parting gift. That may be uh, seem too nice, uh, but it would certainly be interesting. And it's certainly, Robert, you mentioned it, it. It would be great if there was an actual serious debate within the Republican Party to have a serious conservative party that believes in democracy, because that is at grave risk. We are going to talk more about that and how that is specifically playing out here in Wisconsin. We've been talking a lot about it, but there's more news this week in terms of essentially uh, the effort by Republicans to pull apart our democracy. You're listening to The Battleground Wisconsin. We're Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. We were talking about all the 
late breaking news, all the new news in the 2022 election. Didn't even get a chance to mention um, that Milwaukee has a huge mayor's race and that field uh, solidified this week and uh, there'll be six candidates. We'll talk more about that at a later date, but really, really important race, largest city in the state. And it's also a seat that, quite frankly, uh, whoever wins has held it uh, for a long time. Uh, Barrett's 17 years is a short tenure uh, for for a Milwaukee mayor. So very important. We'll talk more about that. But that was also uh, a critical race uh, that uh, more news broke this week. So I wanted to follow up with the conversation and talk more with you all about, you know, our fight to protect democracy. Uh, last week, we talked about the anniversary of January 6th. All of this fits in. Um, I mentioned on that show my concern and my focus in 2022 is not to try to allow myself to act like this is just another election cycle because it's not. Um, we have a party that has given up on democracy and is really challenging it and um, wanted to get both of you, your all's uh, response and reflections this week. Um, we had a number of things happen, including the legislature here in Wisconsin, their committee moved to try to end drop boxes. Um, we have efforts by a the right wing uh, part within the legislature uh, introduced a bill uh, the last week of December to actually allow the legislature to, uh, uh, partisan leaders to nullify elections. Uh, the push continues. Robert, I'm going to go to you first for your thoughts on this. Uh, it's just there's it's every week. There's more and more. And I didn't even talk about Voss being compelled by the Supreme Court uh, to talk about his sham investigation. Uh, just news abounding. Robert, your thoughts this week in, in the protection of democracy? Well, the fascinating thing is how broad the consensus is that democracy is at risk. It's much more so than you would expect in most, in, on most issues, um, except the Republicans who are shameless because they are trying to uh, guarantee minority rule. Um, the place where there's a chance to do something about it before 2022 is at the national level, but it requires every U.S. senator and it requires dealing with one of their big shibboleths that is this that filibusters are somehow important and protect minority rights and encourage debate all of which is yeah they protect minority rights the minority rights of 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 of, of elites uh like that like uh like minority republicans that want to dominate our country and are, and are succeeding to some degree president biden gave a very fiery speech in Georgia this week, one of the battlegrounds, or um, day before uh, MLK's actually actual birthday, and uh, so strong, uh, it, stronger even than his January 6th speech, which is the strongest before that, that Mitch McConnell of all people is saying it was unprecedented and broke decorum. This is after Mitch McConnell supported uh, the last president, who of course this is absurd uh, view of decorum. But he bared to say that do you want to be on the side of Jefferson Davis or do you want to be on the side of Bo Connors or do you want to be on the, on the side of, you know, Martin Luther King or John Lewis, et cetera, which is appropriate in this case. Uh, here's what has to happen, because the reporting is not good about Mansion and Cinema and the, and the Jim Crow filibuster. That is that um, Biden has gave this fiery speech, his 
having lunch with all the Senate Democrats again today. That is Thursday. And what he needs, and this has happened in American history, is to get a breakthrough where they just see their role in history. And that has happened before. It happened with things like Brown versus Board of Education, the Voting Rights Act. And we have that much of a kind of great awakening upon Saturn Mansion and cinema. And that's our only hope here to take action. And Biden is trying everything to do it. I do want to say one thing you didn't say about the Wisconsin conspiracy, Matt, and that is Rachel Maddow broke this week with help of a lot of investigators from voting rights groups that you all know the story. We've talked about background Wisconsin, that Wisconsin held a meeting at the Capitol on certification day and Republican Party faked sent fake certification of a Trump victory in Wisconsin to the Congress, to the National Archives. Well, it turns out it occurred in five other, four other states, so five total states, and that the format and the wording, the way they even look, Rachel Maddow put them on the screen, is identical. So we were part of a coordinated conspiracy with the Trump campaign to be set up so that Pence, as they were demanding, didn't certify, they'd have alternative slates. And they were, and whenever someone who was from their original slate wouldn't do it, they found a replacement. So they were oftentimes not the same people that were actually the Trump uh, people who were running to be on the Electoral College. So, so Robert, yeah, and we talked about that last week. That is clearly, as someone who runs our social media, striking a chord with folks in our state. It with the activities of uh, Representative Brostoff and Larson encouraging the Milwaukee DA to prosecute these folks is wild, hot people totally support it. So I hear you and I'm going to go back to Claire with this, but then Robert, I want you to answer this. My concern is yet again, I'm it, we're hearing the rhetoric just turned up, but like, is this going to, can they get anything done? I am deeply concerned that it'll be yet another failure though. And, and, and that that is debilitating, even though I totally agree with the sentiment of what Biden's uh, efforting to do here. Uh, it, we'll, we'll talk more about the state, but Claire and Robert, I want to get your thoughts on this because I, I think it's important. Um, you know, and, and we talked about it where uh, there were activists who chose not to go to this speech because they're essentially saying that like, look, it's just more show, but there's no go here in the Senate. And, you know, and that's not going to be helpful. Claire? Yeah, politics is hard, right? <laughs> because on one hand, we need um, executives like the president and the governor to use their bully pulpit to spread messages, to drive a public narrative. Uh, having a strong public narrative, in, especially from the executive leader, uh, in favor of a reform, even if that reform isn't immediately viable, uh, is really important and necessary in order to get substantive change passed uh, a lot of times, right? Um, and we sometimes criticize, for example, Governor Evers for not using his bully, bully pulpit sufficiently. And so here's a situation in which the governor, uh, excuse me, the president is doing that. Um, and it's also possible to leverage fair criticism um, at him for uh, whether there is enough of a path to accomplish what he wants or whether it's just rhetoric, right? Um, and so, yeah, these politics is hard and weird and I can understand why um, putting this message out there and the governor or president, oh my gosh, my head is such in state stuff, why uh, the president pushing this message would be 
um, really important for building national support and building a strong narrative um, in order to build public support to passing these uh, voting rights protections in the Senate. Um, but you know, you gotta you gotta be respectful of the people that you're using to advance that message to make sure that um, that you know they're not they're not being taken advantage of unfairly. I mean, or against their will. Yeah, and it look and it's Mansion's bill. They're trying to like sh- publicly shame Mansion. I think here, Robert. I've heard some talk of you know talking filibuster things like that. I mean. Can this they're negotiating? Yeah, they're trying to find some way. Biden has come out in his speech in Georgia against uh, for anything that will get it passed, any alteration of the filibuster. He's been agnostic on what that's partly what they moderate uh, Democrats like Angus King have been investigating. We need to be real about the situation. Uh, uh, Bill Fletcher Jr., the great organizer and strategist wrote a column a little while back that said the Democrats are the unrepublicans. In other words, the reason progressives like to say the Democrats, and I did that they're not a monolithic unified thing. And that's why you can have Manchin and Sanders in the same party. And we have to make them all agree that we got to protect democracy and that this filibuster is not worth protecting. Um, but, and, and so he needs to get them to see the light. This has to be like, you know, Earl Warren got some Southern justices to support Brown versus Board of Education convinced them to be on the right side of the history and make a unanimous vote. That is the kind of that's the kind of a kind of revelation that Manchin needs to have. Here's the problem. Uh, the left and voting rights groups have been demanding that Biden speak up and be strong for a long time. Now he's doing it. But a number of Georgia voting rights groups, which I think was a good idea because it puts pressure on Biden boycotted the event because they think he just wants to show that he's making that he's efforting it but he isn't really he doesn't really have a way to get done and they they said come back to georgia when you have a way to actually do this rather than just come and give a speech about why it's important so both are true um but i think we i don't see an alternative other than biden pulling out all the stops with a bully pulpit and going for it here and you're totally right matt if it doesn't work it weakens him that's the problem the bully pulpit if you if you don't get what you want, you look weak and it diminishes your power. And so, oh. but he is going off for broke at this point and any other leverage he has, we don't know about, he needs to use for interpersonal I mean, strings and economic things or things for mansion and cinema in their states, whatever it is, it just has to happen. I'm going to say, I think his presidency really in many ways is hinging on this because look, he won this election because he won the argument that we needed someone who was closer to the center, closer, right? Uh, had those deep relationships with uh, older traditional uh, Black Caucus members that would be able to move stuff like this, right? But at the end of the day, like if 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 all you look back and it's it's the ARPA money, like I'm sorry, Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth, anybody could have gotten that ARPA money through. Like there will be at some point there needs to be an analysis of whether this meant anything. And I think this is the bill. This is the place where it can happen because we have the legitimate pressure of our democracy hangs in the balance. There are a number of states that pass laws that could put us in a permanent minority. This directly impacts particularly people of color, African-Americans in the South, all of these. 
And if Manchin, if Biden and the old crew can't get Manchin and this crew across, it really calls into question. I know it's it's a one vote thing, but, you know, it, it just shows us we're probably better off leaning in and having full throated our values. Anyways, folks, we, we're going to talk more a little bit more on the backside of the break. I want to give uh, Robert or Claire just a quick opportunity if there's something that happened uh, this week in the state. Uh, around this, an opportunity just to mention it. Uh, And then after that, we're going to talk with Zoe Roberts, who's our field director here at Citizen Action, and talk more about some volunteer opportunities that we really want you all to get involved in. You're listening to Battleground Wisconsin with Citizen Action. Welcome back to Battleground Wisconsin. Again, we're Citizen Action. Robert, I just wanted to give you an opportunity to uh, highlight anything else this week, particular um, around uh, the activities in the state legislature around our democracy. Well, we had the move against uh, drop boxes. There is no evidence drop boxes are causing fraud. This is about making it harder for people to vote. And it is still a pandemic, and it may still be a pandemic later. I just want to point out that, uh, and we keep saying, oh, Omicron may peak. Well, peak doesn't mean it's low. We're double the, the red zone threat level. People then, oh, let's go out to eat now. No, uh, it's still way too high. And then there'll be another wave if we don't vaccinate people. So we need these, we need it anyway, but we especially, we still have an emergency that requires special access to voting. They've made it, they're working on making it much harder to do mail vote, et cetera. So the conspiracy continues. Plus, Voss has declared that he will never have the assembly, as long as he's speaker, name Wisconsin's electors. Well, I mean, they, had, they sent fake electors in 2020 and joined four other states and sent identical certifications on identical uh, format. Looks like the same computer printer printed them out and they just flipped out the state. It's that close. And so we're supposed to believe that? Yeah, Another well, big lie, in other words. Anyways, I don't believe him. And I got news for Robin Voss. We saw earlier this year, he precariously holds on to that caucus. There is a move from the right and from the QAnon fringe uh, to take over that. So he may not be calling the shots anyways uh, for too much longer. With that, we are super excited to have Zoe Roberts with us. Zoe is our field director and has been for over two years now leading our effort yeah, to to engage voters across Wisconsin in challenging conversations. Zoe, thanks for joining us. Oh, thanks for having me, Matt. So, Zoe, the reason I had you on is we've talked a lot about these mythical, I shouldn't say mythical, these they're critical voters uh, in 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 the state that swing back and forth that are what we call cross pressured. They hear something from one side. They're like, I like that. They hear, I like that, you know, and they voted, for example, say for Obama, but then maybe voted for Walker or we have seen them move back and forth from for or against Trump. And we have been putting a concerted effort to have challenging conversations with these folks. And you've been leading that effort. So tell our listeners a little bit about what we're doing. It's called deep canvassing and how it works and then how we're opening this up to get folks involved in having these conversations this year. Zoe? Okay. What we're doing is we're, we're calling people on the phone. We're having real conversations with them. We build rapport. Um, we really try to, to get them to open up 
and and share stories with us. We share share stories with them, and then we kind of um, make a case for an issue or a candidate, depending upon the work that we're doing. And really what we're trying to do is get them to process something called cognitive dissonance, which is kind of like this disagreement that they might have deep down inside, but they might say X, Y, Z, but they might really believe this over here. So we're trying to get the two into agreement. And in particular, when you talk, you talk about, you know, these battling ideas, one of the things that I'd like you to comment on that I know you're really tackling is, is race and racism and how the right constantly is in almost all of their work making appeals along race. And often we've argued the Democrats just aren't talking enough about it or try to avoid the issue. Um, And is my understanding that this is a key part of what you're doing is you're really diving in to tackle people's uh, complex feelings around race and how it impacts how they might vote. Talk more about that. Absolutely. You know, um, for a long time, Democrats and liberals didn't want to talk about race. They, they, they were embarrassed to talk about it. They thought they'd say something wrong or, or do something wrong. And really what we do is we use this thing called race class narrative. And within the race class narrative, we're directly taking on race and we're creating a unifying statement so that all people are put on a level playing field. So tell us a little bit more, right? you how, how how these calls work right it's it's because i think people have heard a bit about it especially our listeners they're pretty well plugged in progressives and they've probably heard the term deep canvassing um, but tell them a little bit more about how the structure of a conversation is different than say for example i've done a lot we've all done a lot of work electoral work where you come in with a fairly prescribed script and you're not, you're really more identifying, you might have a small persuasion rap, but talk about that in comparison to the, your calls and how, how a structure of that call would work, but also just how long and complex and how much time you're willing to put in to these conversations with persuadable voters. Yeah. So traditionally it was very transactional. You go out, you say, Hey, X, Y, Z candidate is great. Here's four or five facts, go vote for them on X, X day. And thank you for listening to me. Right. Pretty much. Um, These conversations are a lot deeper than that. What we're doing is we're having these conversations in such a way that, you know, they might go 20, 25, 30 minutes or more. Um, these are real conversations. We, you know, we start out, we build a little rapport with people, maybe, maybe joke around with them a little bit. Then we get into a ratings question and we ask them on a scale of one to 10, where do you, where do you fall on this? And after that, we do a, a story share. Then we process dissonance, the processing dissonance section. Then we make the case. And then we when, come when back. You say, hey, Zoe, sorry to interrupt, but when you say processing the dissonance, talk more about that when, what, what, you're trying to get people to to work through in that section because it's really important. Actually, one of the most effective pieces to processing dissonance is when they go silent. Um, Because what you're doing is you're getting them from this fight or flight state of mind into a state of mind where they're using a, a more cognitive function of their brain where they're thinking deeper. And so that silence is actually your friend. Um, when they do this, what happens is they're arriving at their own conclusions. We're not convincing them. They're convincing themselves. So these conversations then have really long lasting effects because these people 
are, are convincing themselves that yes, this is the right direction. This is the right candidate, right? Yeah, I, I got to say, when I and I've done some of these calls, I and before COVID, we were doing some doors. I, I must say, I think what's most well, it's challenging, but it's also it's moving when you have these conversations where you're you're asking people to talk and have conversations about where they were the other person. They were the person who felt on the outside excluded um, or were really challenged by something that um, was above them and really broke, really them, broke down. them down. And, and I, I, I find that that is a compelling conversation to try to get people to like put themselves in other people's shoes. Um, talk more about that. Cause I think that's a really important aspect of this. And again, it requires time to have a conversation where you can get into a, that kind of discussion. Yeah. So to that point, I think that, you know, we have these tough conversations. And so it, here's an example of what happens. We share a story. The person comes back, you know, might be on healthcare. We share a story about healthcare. They come back, they share their story. And we, we learn things like um, there was a farmer in Dunn County that had to sell off his entire head of cattle so that he didn't have the assets and the income from that so that he could get on badger care in order to afford surgery and get the surgery that he needed. So these are real stories. They're emotional. And so these things, once, once you um, really kind of get them to share their, their story and you feel they, they feel the pain of it, right. They start, they start rethinking about it. That's when they can really start identifying the need for an issue like, you know, uh, universal healthcare or single payer system. So Zoe, one of the reasons we had you here today is we are trying to take this model and allow and train volunteers across the state of Wisconsin in some of the ways of this model, but also make it simple and easy for folks to be able to do so we can start, they can start talking to some of these same voters who go back and forth and are going to be critical in the 2020 election about issues that they care about and share stories uh, with other voters. Uh, so tell us more about what, what we're doing and how we need people to get involved and volunteer and, and become a part of this in order to help start to change hearts and minds and win elections. Yeah. So the field team has been hosting Tuesday night call parties since late November. Um, we've seen people from around the country join in the, to help us win Wisconsin in, in 2022. These folks realize how important Wisconsin is um, and, and what, they, what they really want to do is they really want to help us keep Wisconsin not only blue, but turn it progressive again, um, because they realize that Wisconsin is really the key to unlocking a lot of these things in, in Washington, D.C. for the future. Now, we like you said, we do train you how to deep canvas on these calls. They are every Tuesday night at 6 p.m., our model, again, is not transactional. It's not the same model that we used to use. It's really much more of a transformational model, um, really to kind of get people to open up and really think deeply about these things and, and the concerns that they have about what's going on. So again, sharing stories, connecting, and really, really doing this work is important. Um, we can't have too many conversations, in my opinion. With, with folks, because the more conversations we have, the more work we're willing to put into this, 
the more we're gonna, the more we're more inroads we're gonna make uh, into into getting Wisconsin back to being a blue uh, a blue bastion, a progressive bastion that it once was. Yeah, folks, this is super important. Um, we need to do these calls now so that we can have conversations with people before the election gets heated up and we're pushing candidates and all of that and actually start to have deeper conversations. So again, everybody, we're going to be doing this every Tuesday, the next two Tuesdays in January, 6 to 8 p.m. We'll have a link in our description where you can go and sign up and participate in this. Again, both next Tuesday, the 18th, and I believe the following Tuesday is the 25th of January. Please, uh, we can't win elections if we don't talk to these voters. So, Zoe, thanks so much for joining us and for leading this work. Well, thanks again for having me, Matt. Awesome. With that, though, folks, we're at the end of the show. We got to wrap up this podcast. We want to thank Zoe Roberts for joining us. And again, remind you, folks, please volunteer Tuesday night, 6 to 8 p.m. Make calls to critical voters in critical state legislative seats. And we want to thank Brian Woldridge our producer who makes the podcast happen every week. We'll see you all next week here at the Battleground, Wisconsin.